and welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with writer and coach Becca Piastrelli about healing loneliness through connection. We dive into her insights about the history of loneliness, as well as her experience reconnecting with ancestors, celebrating the seasons, and learning to ask for help. Before we begin, I want to acknowledge that this episode is coming out amid worldwide protests advocating for justice for George Floyd and countless others who have suffered at the hands of police violence. If you're looking to learn more, I encourage you to check out podcasts like About Race and Code Switch, as well as supporting Black Lives Matter movements in your own community. I also want to say a big thank you to Audrey Birch, our newest Patreon subscriber. Your contributions truly make this show possible, and I'm so grateful for your support. Please join us at patreon.com slash moonwise, where I'm sharing wellness guides and lots more. Okay, on with our show. Becca Piastrelli is a writer, coach, and host of The Belonging Podcast. She holds space for women to explore ancestral wisdom, connect with the earth, and find meaningful and inclusive sisterhood. In the age of loneliness, Becca shows us how to feel like we truly belong to each other, to the earth, to a lineage, and to ourselves. Hi, Becca. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I know. I'm very honored to be here and chat with you. Well, I would love to start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself for those listeners who aren't already familiar with your work. Yeah. I think what I'm realizing about myself is my life's work has always been about belonging. And the older I get... Um, it's like an onion, like the layers just get more intense and I go deeper and deeper into like, what does that mean? So as a child, I always really struggled with feeling belonging, feeling like I fit in, feeling like I was doing the right thing, struggled to feel like lovable and enough in the systems we live in. And as I've grown up and, um, dealt with college, dealt with working in capitalism and then finally stepping into this work I do now, which is like holding space for women and female identified folks to explore it. I'm realizing, um, yeah, that I've been set up by my ancestors. It's just been like fed to me, like this is your work to explore what it means to belong in this, in this modern age that many call the age of loneliness, which deeply resonates with me. Um, like how can we, uh, particularly those who are living on lands that aren't our ancestral lands and living online and um, living in a pandemic and living in all these times that feel so like uprooted from our roots. Like how can we return to a sense of belonging? And for me, it's, it's looking back, it's ancestral ways. It's, it's the lands we come from. It's returning to the earth. It's returning to community. And uh, I think I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. That's so beautiful. And I was really excited to chat with you at this moment when so many are presumably feeling quite lonely or isolated due to this pandemic. And you recently posted on social media about how you were diving into research into the history and science of human loneliness. And I found that so fascinating because what you said was that you found out it's only really mentioned about 150 years ago and forward. 
And I, w- I would love to hear a little bit more about what you found in that inquiry. Yeah, it was, it was wild to me. So right. I'm, we're in a pandemic. We're sheltering at home. Most of us, not all of us. Right. Uh, and, um, loneliness has always sort of been like a close companion of mine. And I'm really, I've had to reframe to companion friend, you know, loneliness has a seat at the table and is telling me something. And so it's, it's rearing its head. It's peeking up under the, it's peeking its head up under the rug. It's, it's saying like, hi, I'm here. I'm feeling it. And so I thought, Hmm, I wonder, like, I wonder what the history of loneliness is given the fact that I'm feeling it so acutely. So many people I'm talking to are feeling it so acutely. And like, this pandemic though, like viruses and famine and experiences of this like magnitude have happened throughout history. There's something here where it just feels so particularly isolating. And I happened upon all this research that has really tracked the mention of this term loneliness and, and lonely only in the last 150 years of written history and popular culture. And I think there was one like um, Ophelia in a Shakespeare play um, drowned herself in the sea from loneliness. And that was sort of like the first explanation of it. Of course, this is all from a very like European centered framework and we have to take it with a grain of salt. So you could sort of feel the bias in the, in the um, research. And yet also there's like a thread of truth, which is like, okay, what else has happened in the last 150 years? And it's like, Oh, the rise of rugged individualism, the rise of the nuclear family, this belief system that is set in that we need in order to be successful enough, worthy, lovable, um, fill it in. We need to do it alone. We need to go it alone. We're praised more if we do it life alone. Um, and of course, you know, we are now in our houses. I mean, most of us in our homes with our own little families or by ourselves. Also, it was tracking the rise of, um, adults living alone is the highest it's ever been. And that's somehow freedom. That's somehow making it in this world. And so now all these adults are living alone or sheltering alone in this experience and having very primal physiological, emotional, spiritual responses to not interacting with other human beings. And so that just tracked to me so much is like, as a proponent of revillaging who very much does not live in a village like format. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling the acute pain of the last 150 years. You know what I mean? And it's complex because also we're trying to prevent, you know, pe- people from getting sick and dying, which I can understand, but there's also this like ache. It's so deep. It's so ancient. It's so primal in my whole system that says like, this would be so much easier if, if we were in some way allowed to be together. And, and so loneliness to me is this teacher in this time of like the ways we've gotten away from each other, the ways we've gotten away from belonging, the ways we've gotten away from ourselves in this pursuit, this, what I believe to be a false pursuit of, um, like the quote dream. I have full body chills as you talk about that there is a sense that in some way this would be so much easier if we could be with each other. And in a way, this 
quarantine has, I've heard a lot of people mention that, that it's only amplifying the direction we were already going in, that people were already feeling so isolated and so lonely in many ways. And myself included, especially as a parent, even though I do have some really beautiful community here in Portland, we are really, you know, functioning in a society that does kind of ask us, okay, you know, do it all yourself and don't ask for help. Don't reach out, don't borrow things from your neighbor, et cetera, sort of underlying almost like unconscious ideas. And it often is quite a hurdle for me to realize like, no, I need to reach out and also possibly even be a little bit vulnerable and ask some other moms like, Hey, do you guys want to get together once a week? Or do you want to chat over zoom or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, it seems to me that we really are built for that biologically and emotionally. And, so many feel that perhaps it's like something wrong with them or they're just not like winning at being a mom or whatever. And it's like, no, like the, the cards are stacked against us. And, and not only to be compassionate with ourselves, but to realize like, Hey, is there like a new way that we can vision this given the pause that we have right now? Yeah. I think there, that's the gift in, in the pain, the acuteness of the pain we're feeling because I've been talking about loneliness far before, this pandemic happened and George Monbiot, who's a very famous British environmental activist, dubbed this the age of loneliness um, like 10 years ago, um, and, give or take, don't quote me on that. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pain we've been increasingly feeling. And I think in this moment, we're given the, op- because things have slowed so da- much down, which is, which is a gift in many ways. I know there's a lot of um, economic suffering that has come from that, um, from a system that was not set up to serve us, you know, especially mothers, um, or parents, I should say, we were given this opportunity in this space to be like, okay, this is not working. This is not working. Like there are symptoms that are showing us it's not working. Like I heard like, uh, drinking is up like 325% right now. Um, and, uh, there are all these indicators. I'm sure we're going to see pretty devastating indicators around depression and suicide. And I, and I just think, okay, so maybe, maybe the pain now is so severe that we can say, all right, what's on the other side of this? Cause it's, it's the opportunity to envision something different. And I of course believe it's in this concept of revillaging of, of making it so asking for help, giving and receiving support, uh, is empowering and not shame, like a source of shame, you know, or a source of guilt. And it may take a few generations to really work that sort of ancestral story out, particularly for women, particularly for mothers around sacrifice. Ooh, quite a story. But I, I think, I can't help. I I woke up today feeling very hopeful. So I'm going to go with it. Like I can't help but feel like we are, this is our opportunity to really catalyze a shift into a different way of operating because like enough suffering alone, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious to dive a little deeper into what belonging means to you in your work that you're doing. Yeah. What I've found in my own approach to belonging is there are sort of four key areas of my life where it's felt the most 
um, healing, the most potent. Um, and so one is belonging to myself, really doing the work of, of looking at the stories I tell myself about myself, the ways, um, you know, I believe my body is wrong, the ways I believe my thoughts are wrong, the ways my inner critic is loud, the ways, you know, I, I feel not enough. And, um, the ways I can sort of come back to myself, drop from my head into my heart, the ways I can love my body. You know, I mean, I'm pregnant right now and my body is changing really fast and I'm noticing all these cultural, old ancestral stories coming up around my body and how I got to like get it back after the baby comes. And it's like, it's just the same body. It's just the same body. It's just a body living and creating life. And so that's like an example of like belonging, belonging work within the self. And that feels very important or, um, you know, for folks who really suffer from depression, sort of mental health, um, that there's an opportunity there, an invitation to come in deeper to what is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're craving? What is it you're not getting? What is it you can give yourself? Those of us who, who didn't have parents that really gave us what we needed. How can we parent ourselves? So that's like a whole bucket, but that's, that's the first area that really sort of brought me into this. And then it's belonging to the earth or belonging to the wild, um, which feels so resonant to speak to you about this. Cause I really see you embodying that, but really trying to remember we aren't machines, you know, and, and there are seasons and cycles in every moment and every day and every hour and every minute. And that those of us that bleed get to feel that cycle, um, the cycle of the seasons, no matter where you live on earth, there is movement. The natural world is showing us and, um, to return to plants. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in suburbia and I was just like, that's probably poisonous. So I can't even go touch that. But there was a time before that where I did run through the fields of flowers and I did speak to the trees and what made me feel afraid again and looking at that. And my garden is, you know, my teacher and plants coming back to the plants and coming back to a sense of those are my, those are my ancestors. Those are my relations and we are connected. And that is a deeply spiritual journey for me. Then there's um, belonging to who and what I've come from, to a lineage, to lineages, to my ancestors. Very complex for me as a white person to really face um, the colonization that I descend from, the privilege that I get from that. I've been privileged enough to journey to the lands of my ancestors, um, modern-day Ireland, Scotland, England. Um, It's just the beginning and to really start to understand like at least 6 billion souls have come before me and I'm alive now and what is their legacy and what is my legacy and where can I repair? And, and that just has me see myself a part of a a far bigger web than this moment, than like this Instagram post or, you know, this, like (laughs) whatever it is, bad night of sleep. Like it just, it connects me in deeper ways. And then the final area of belonging work that is really important to me is belonging to each other, belonging in community. I mean, sitting in a circle of women is really what catalyzed this remembrance of belonging in my early 20s, this experience of sisterhood and kinship. It's gone far beyond that now. And my partner and I are um, 
both like working to gather. This is the village that I'm talking about, right? To gather together again for us to remember how to relate in a way that isn't through criticism or isn't through trauma bonding or that isn't through fear, isn't through judgment. And, you know, those roots are strong in some ways. But um, again, as I said in the beginning, this is a lifetime's worth of work, but somehow those four buckets help me, help guide me these ways of like, am I working on myself? Am I working with the earth? Is like a community thing coming up or, oh, is this, is this something to look into with my lineage? It just helps me flow into this space. It just, it's a spiral, right? Life and nature is a spiral and I'm just spiraling within those, those four areas. That's so beautiful. And I'm really moved when you talk about the ancestors and in particular in this moment, I find myself, um, thinking about my ancestors more than ever. And honestly, like making offerings to them and beseeching them for support, because I don't know why I just wor- use the word beseech, but whatever. That's <laughs> a word. Yeah, totally. Um, because, you know, they, they've been through fire and famine and flood and war and, you know, all these things. And, and, and our ancient ancestors were so strong. I mean, there's no other reason th- that we're here. And there's, it seems to me, there's just so much right on the other, just on the other side of the veil, just, just waiting right there for us of knowledge of how to really be resilient and how to work with the land and listen. And one example that comes to my mind is I was thinking about somehow this idea of weaving a basket, like was put into my mind. And I was just like, gosh, how would I weave a basket? Like, I have no idea, but that would be cool, I guess. And then a couple of days later, an image just popped in my head of like, oh, this is, this is like the instructions. Like, this is how you would do it. And I was like, where did that come from? And of course, of course I come from people who've been weaving baskets for generations. So why wouldn't that knowledge be, you know, almost just right there if you kind of open the door a little bit? Yeah, it is right there. I mean, as someone who didn't grow up with the grandmother who taught her about every native plant and how to make you know, the poultice that will pull out the sliver or how to even can to make, like, I just didn't get that, you know, that's not my story. Um, I hope for that to be that grandmother, honestly, someday, <laughs> Me but too. I know, I know, but the, the more, I mean, my curiosity, particularly with ancestral, um, ways or ancestral handcrafts, like basket weaving, uh, I do have an urge to make a basket. It's so interesting. Um, the tall grasses after the rains here just were like, weave me. And I was like, <laughs> but I don't know the YouTube video that tells me how. <laughs> really, the Western mind really infiltrated. But yeah, I mean, it all started. I was called back to the plants. I mean, a lot of people I talk to are like, you know, in Outlander or whatever movie or video they've seen where she's in the dark uh, room and there's all these plants hanging from the ceiling and there's amber bottles on the shelf, you know, I'm like, Oh, I know. Like your whole <laughs> body goes, do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 you know? And then the Western mind comes in and goes like, well, you don't know, you don't have the stuff and the things and you got to read all the books. And I'm someone who read all the books and still felt so insecure. And then it was just like, my hands showed me, my hands showed me. And I've really, I mean, I've, I've been in sort of ancestral herbalism school for probably 10 years. I did a 
very intense one year program with a teacher a couple years ago, but truly I've given myself time and space to return to these ways. And I've watched where, like you said, like, Oh, I've received the instructions for the basket. I've watched where if I just step out of the way, it comes back to me. And I watch the the place where the places where it's hard and I want to give up. And then it's like, well, (laughs) our ancestors sat by the river for hours and their fingers found the way. So maybe I need to give myself more time and space. This culture we live in is so quick. Yeah. Like we can find our way back to it. So that's really like the wild and the seasonal cyclical piece coming in of like, what's our pace? What's our pace here? Can we just like not put so much pressure on ourselves to become, you know, brilliant basket weavers overnight, fill in the blank and right. Like trust, trust the urge, trust the joy, trust the, trust the discomfort and return to these ways. And it feels so good. Yeah. And something that I've really admired in following your work online is your attention to seasons and how to celebrate the seasons. And as I was thinking about, you know, I wanted to ask you, how do we recreate the village? And something about the seasons really seems to me that it's like woven in with that work that you do. Like in some way, I see you like gathering with folks to celebrate cross quarter holidays and things like that. And yeah, I would just love to hear um, about that, how that works in your life. Yeah, well, it's still like a dream I'm trying to weave into reality. Uh, but I, I'm realizing I've put a lot of focus in the last three years with a particular group of friends who are also such a yes to it. And then our partners started being a yes to it. Yeah, it just feels so uh, ancient, comforting and ancient anciently comforting, something like that, where it's, I'm feeling a little sad in this moment because as of recording, we're just past Beltane, which is the halfway point between the spring equinox and summer solstice. That's like the maypole and flowers in the hair. That's for my ancestral lineage of old Europe. Uh, and, um, we had a big celebration planned and we were going to erect the maypole together and paint our faces and do the whole thing, but we couldn't, we had to do it virtually. Uh, yeah, it's the more I've learned about the cross quarter days and, um, have sort of separated it from any sort of like fear of religion and gone into a place of like, this is the earth celebration and I'm joining her in it, you know, to really see like, Oh, I've always loved Halloween. (laughs) Why? Oh, because it's an opportunity to engage with like death and the shadow, something that is just as important in society as, as birth and life. And in my ancestral lands and where I live in the Northern hemisphere, the end of October, the beginning of November, like death is in nature. You see like the ending of the harvest and you see like the rotting of the pumpkins and you see like the drying out of the grasses and you can feel death. And I think, oh, my ancestors like saw that and then they could translate it to honoring their ancestors, which is how ancestor worship is such an important part that time of year for many cultures. And, and similarly on the other side of the wheel of the year is Beltane, which is just directly opposite of Samhain, directly opposite of, uh, the sort of death time. It's like, earth is alive and the flowers are showing us. And it's actually like very sexual. It shows us about sexuality, like flowers being like the sexual organ and 
bees pollinating and honey flowing and the sweetness and, and this whole idea of, um, us celebrating surviving the winter and planting our crops and celebrating that we are creators of life. You know, that sort of reframes any sort of like sexual shame I've been taught, you know, from, so it's, these cross-quarter days, these seasonal sabbats or solar celebrations, they really follow the trajectory of the sun, um, where the you know, how much it's waning or waxing in the sky over a year, to me, has just brought deep, deep joy and connection and a sense of belonging and a sense of like deep time instead of linear time, which we all have bought into linear time. But deep time being like we're dancing with our ancestors, we're dancing with our descendants, and and we're feeling our connection to it all. So my dream is to be able to have some sort of land we can all come to and celebrate each of those. And those exist, you know, those exist. There are communities all over the world who've been doing it for so long, and, and I'm ready to do that too. You know, it just, it feels like... I mean, I've done, I've done winter solstice with like all these like tech executives from San Francisco and they were so into it. You know, we were like tying what we wanted to release onto the Yule log and putting it on the fire and sitting and singing in darkness. And these like tech bros were like, this is cool. You know, (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's in all of us, you know, and last Samhain gathered in my friend's land in Connecticut and we had a dumb supper and we all dressed like our shadow selves. And so I was like a really selfish, judgy, mean girl. And I was like silver wig and black lipstick. And we had dessert first and we ended with the salad. And, and we were with like a lot of people who were like, wait, what's this? But I'm into it. I don't really know what it is, but I'm into it. It's like we were under like the, you know, crumbling leaves of the fall trees and we were just embodying something our bodies craved, you know, which was like chaos and darkness and, and, um, the people who had never even heard of like, what is, what does pagan mean? Or like what that didn't matter. It just flowed through us. So I live for that. And it's my hope that I can expand that practice in my life. Yeah. It seems like so many are really craving ritual and of course above all meaning in our in our lives and meaning not only for our own purpose in lives but meaning as a collective as humanity on the planet right now and yeah I just I feel like a lot of folks are are feeling really down like you know what are humans even doing on the planet are we just destroying it should we just be wiped out and the earth will be happy and I just had a, you know, my last interview with Lila June, the brilliant indigenous scholar who is saying, no, like we belong on the earth and, and nature needs our touch and our presence. And we are, you know, a keystone species in this food web. And, and how can we act as such? Oh yeah. I love Lila so much. She is so powerful and her words just activate that remembrance in, in me and, and, and she's right. She's reconnecting us to in our indigenous ways with her words, with her, with her songs is that so many of us have been separated from, particularly those of us who have whiteness in our blood. Uh, you know, that's like an amnesia that was put upon us to forget that we are indigenous to a land and the land. 
and that, um, you know, I really, it's taken three years to conceive this baby, conceive and hold this baby that's coming into my life. And, um, yeah, conscious conception is a whole conversation, you know, where, when you're seeing, I, you know, every fall I see the world burn around me because we have really intense wildfires here now in Northern California. It's a reality and it's, it's something I've really had to think about, like, are humans just the worst? <laughs> and then I remember that's just like a story. That's a, that's a story. And it's, there's a way we can return to indigenous ways. Like there was a way the land here in Northern California was tended to because it has a burn ecology and that it wants to burn and just built all these houses over it and didn't let it burn and it wants to burn. And it's deeply humbling. So here I am creating, you know, I'm the ancestor creating the descendant. And it's, it's like, how, how can I remember we belong to the earth and shift our ways of being and come back together in a way, in a way that Lila June never forgot, you know, and like, how can we remember that? And it's, it's challenging. It's really, really challenging. And I think it's like the work we were born to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking of all the folks who are, you know, becoming parents in this big global shift we're going through. And, um, yeah, I've heard, yeah, I think maybe it was even Lila who told me that an elder mentioned that like mother earth is calling her greatest warriors right now. So it's not even so much like, Oh, it's not a good time to have a baby or like, just forget it or whatever. I mean, everyone has their own choices around that, but that like, if you are bringing life to the earth right now, whoa, I could, I'm like almost about to cry. Like, holy, like you're bringing life to earth right now. That's, and who are you bringing? Like, we really need those people. (laughs) Yeah. In moments of like paralysis or deep fear around like, what, why now, you know, why and then I have to just accept like, this is, this is the contract the, with this soul, you know, like we wanted this baby and it was, we had, we had many losses and we were like, why? <laughs> okay. We don't know. And then now like, okay, I have to just trust that there is some deeper wisdom afoot, you know, and that my partner and I were like born for this and that this one will be born for what's next. Uh, and I really have to lean into that and remind myself of that. Um, because I I can, I can easily go to the fear and, um, the frustration and even just like the grief of not (laughs) having this world shift so quickly under our feet. Uh, and then, you know, like a part of me, like my ancestors are whispering in my ears, like you always knew this was coming and, you're ready. We're ready. This one is ready. And yeah, that's like my practice, my deepest practice right now. That's beautiful. And, you know, we've, we've mentioned whiteness and some of the privileges, the many privileges that come with that. And I'm really, you know, intrigued by the pilgrimages that you've done to European sacred sites and a little bit about how you moved into that journey, you know, a lot of people feel a lot of shame and grief and guilt around, you know, the colonization that our ancestors were part of. And so I'm just curious about, you know, how you've walked with that and come to feel more belonging within your lineage. 
Yeah, that's a big one. It's an undertaking I dove into, um, pretty just like full on, which I think it might be my way. Like when I'm ready, it's like, let's do it. And I think that was after years of, um, like the shame and the guilt, but I didn't feel shame or guilt. All I felt was, I don't want to look at it. I just don't want to look at it cause I'm good now. And I was sort of, I was very, I was the one who would bypass. I don't see color, like the whole thing. And the Black Lives Matters movement and the uh, missing and murdered indigenous women uh, conversation really, and then Donald Trump got elected and I just, I just went, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) whoa. Okay. Okay. You know, like I'm not going to die if I look at this. Um, And so I had an amazing teacher, Liz Miliarelli, also known as Sister Spinster, who who really led me into it by talking about this concept of you are indigenous to a place um, and, and showing the ways that so many of us white folk um, appropriate other cultures out of, a, out of a feeling of not having culture, out of a feeling of not having um, indigenous origins, out of a feeling of not being like, quote, exotic or, um, having deep tradition. And I just like, was like that, that is me. I've always like wanted to be from India. (laughs) Like I've always wanted to be like Lakota. I would say it as a child and I cringe now, but I think it's really important. I say these things because, um, because they need to be said because other people have probably felt this way. So to have a teacher say like, yes, all of this injustice is happening. Do you know where you're from? And do you know, like the history? And so it was like a really beautiful both and of looking at the history of harm, like directly caused by my ancestors while at the same time coming home to a really beautiful connection to my own indigeneity. And so just like one fed the other and I, instead of like sinking down into the ground, just feeling so much shame, I just felt emboldened. And so I just started saying it more like I went to Ireland and I, I felt so just like I recognized the nettles in a way I don't see nettles here on Turtle Island. Like the nettles spoke to me, you know, and and I drank Hawthorne tea and I cried and I cried and I, and I was like, okay, this is different. This is different here, you know? And it's not just like, I took the DNA test and I'm so white. Ha, 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 ha. It's like, no, no, I'm from this beautiful land, you know, who was colonized and every tree was ripped up from this land to build ships, to go colonize other lands. Do you feel the pain of it? Do you hear the tree's ancestors, their roots in the ground? And I just it lit up everything in me so much so that a year later, I, my mom and I, and her sister, my aunt, we went to Maine, which is where we could trace back. Thanks to our privilege of, um, written history. Uh, that's like the first landing point of my matrilineal line, which is the oldest line here on Turtle Island. And they landed, um, in Maine from England in the 1600s and found the slave manifest, read records of killing Native Americans, Abenaki land, 
um, like Reddit, <laughs> like read the words found that I've descended from one of the presiding judges of the Salem witch trials, like fully. Yeah. In one week I found all of that out. Ooh. And I could hold it. I could hold it. I could share it. I turned on Instagram and I spoke it and I, because I could feel all the other truths, which was like, I could feel the, like the grieving tree roots of Ireland and I could feel the waters of Scotland and I could feel, I could just feel my roots and my resilience and I could feel the bright and well ancestors who were telling me to like stand tall and be humble and speak this aloud so that, cause why else am I here <laughs> not to pillage and ravage some more? I'm so clear. That's why, not why I'm here. It's just, it's to speak the truth. Um, and so now, I mean, I'm not traveling right now, but, um, yeah, every year for the past several years I've been going, you know, I swam in the waters of the Hebrides of the Highlands of Scotland last year it was like the most moving experience of my life, you know? And then I, I bring, sometimes I bring women on pilgrimage and what I see occur is like, is deep bravery, you know? And like, frankly, like a final deep understanding, like a witnessing, a grieving of the harm that was caused and, and an understanding of the complexity that we hold the energy of both the oppressor and the oppressed, um, an understanding of like, Oh, that pain perpetuated this pain. It's just like, if we can zoom out and hold all the complexity of it, I, I think we can heal it far more than just hanging in the shame and guilt of being white. Wow. That is really, I just, again, full body chills, tears coming. It really makes sense to me that this lineage part is, is integral to this feeling of belonging because so many of us are living on lands, like you mentioned, that we're not from, we don't have like our people necessarily buried here. Or we're not as familiar with plant traditions and things like that, that this would be a really important piece to belonging and also to weave in, you know, where we do find ourselves and where we are. Like I'm a recent transplant to the Pacific Northwest and it's been quite a journey to introduce myself to the trees here and really start to reckon with like what's happened here and then, okay, who am I now to be like inhabiting this land and what does that mean and how can I give back in a reciprocal way? Yeah. I think being a recent transplant, that, that experience is a really interesting one and, and one to bring words to, because I think it does take time, first of all, to like understand whose lands, whose lands are these originally and, who, and what waters feed it? You know, like, where does my water come from? Where is North, South, East, West? Like, what are the mountains and, and what are the native trees and what are the invasive trees? And, and what, you know, what's my USDA hardiness planting zone? What's going to grow well here? Like th that takes, you know, several turns of the wheel to be like, where am I? And how can I like be here in a way that cultivates belonging? Because yeah, we also live in a time where people move a lot. So like I just moved two towns over a year ago. So I lived in a town, two towns over and then it, for several years. And I just like it was redwoods and it was like a mountain fed Creek and it was the Bay came in and I was like, I know this land. And then we moved two towns over and it's like, no Oak trees. 
And that same mountain is further away, but it does feed our creek. But it's a little bit different in the the fish here, a little bit different. And it's it's way more coyotes and the lizards. Like it's it's hotter here. It's like ten degrees hotter here. So it just things look and feel different, you know, and it's still Coast Miwok land. But, you know, now I'm starting to understand that like the ones who lived here had a very different way of life than the ones who lived, you know, under the redwood trees by the ocean. And, and, you know, this Western mind I keep referring to this part of us that has really been trained in these, you know, systems we live in now wants to go quickly and wants to, achieve mastery now and doesn't want to look stupid, doesn't want to be wrong, <laughs> doesn't want to fail. And, and what I'm, I'm constantly returning to and reminding myself is like, yes, this is new land and I am, I am a baby to it. And, you know, let's introduce ourselves, make offerings. And, you know, I planted this garden last year and I was like so excited and like half of it just didn't do well. And I had to realize that I live on the side of a hill and I get very limited sunlight. Like I just, my lemon tree doesn't like it, you know, (laughs) like the tomatoes are never really going to go for it, you know? And, and I I felt like I'm a crappy gardener. And then I'd be like, no, this is the land I'm on, you know, like what actually wants to grow here? It's, it's humbling, but it's um, also relieving to the nervous system, the parts of us that want to be good and right and the best all the time. Totally. I was just telling my friend yesterday that I'm, you know, wanting to work more with the trees here, but I, I just feel that, yeah, I'll, I'll be making some mistakes and I'll be doing some things that maybe the trees didn't like that kind of offering, or, you know, maybe I just look weird talking to this tree down the block and the neighbors think (laughs) whatever, but like, Hey, it's better than it's something. And, and by doing it wrong, I'll probably start to learn what is more preferred. (laughs) So, and other doors will open. So yeah, I totally have that perfectionist streak as well, where I just want to like do it right. And, um, and like, get the A, like, do I get the A plus from the trees? Like, no, the trees aren't going to give you an A plus, like come and establish a relationship in a humble way. Like, yeah, you're new here. You're the new kid in town. Just like get with the program. Yeah. Right. It's so hard for us syllabus followers, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's so healing to our nervous systems, frankly, you know, to just remember it's about relationship and not about winning. Yeah. And for some reason, I feel called to say that for many of us, it can be enough just to go put your bare feet on the earth and just say, I'm here. This is me. And I'm having a hard time. Like that can be the start. You could just walk up to a tree and be like, hi, (laughs) I'm here. And this is hard. Like, we got to start somewhere. <laughs> I feel stupid right now, but I'm still doing it because <laughs> I'm just figuring it out as I go along. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful to do that. Totally. Well, we have a little bit of time left and I was just wondering if there's something in particular that you've really been contemplating or feeling is really potent that you want to tell people about your work or what you feel that, you know, we as people here in the U S are, are going through. I mean, there's a lot happening, so <laughs> it's like hard to know where to start, but 
like what feels really potent in your in your work or your life right now? Okay, this is like an interesting time to be talking about it because we're talking on day fifty three of shelter in place here in the Bay Area. And so I've hit a fatigue. <laughs> I've hit a fatigue. I've hit like zoom fatigue, you know, for sure. and i've i'm I'm less resp- I'm also pregnant, so um, you know, I'm just like less available. and And so the ways I in the beginning of this sheltering experience, I was like, grasping for connection, like I'm just tired now. And so, but I still need connection. And so I think what I'm, what I'm pondering and what I'm inviting everyone into is like, we need meaningful connection with each other. And that takes some vulnerability that takes some planning, um, that takes some deep intention. And you know, I've had some really powerful Zoom calls. Like I have a group of women I meet with on every new moon um, and we had to move to Zoom and, and you know, those calls are, are life-giving to me right now, you know, and um, I've just, I was able to do a Beltane ritual and it was beautiful. And so I'm realizing like, there are ways I've been seeking counterfeit connection, you know, scrolling a lot more because I just feel so physically lonely. And, and so there's, there's two elements here is one like quality of connection, you know, and like, it's okay to have boundaries around when you need time and space. And it's okay to say no to a FaceTime cause you're so tired of looking at a screen, but invest your time and your intention and your energy into quality connection because it is like the lifeblood for us. Uh, and the other thing is to really make space for your loneliness or, you know, maybe the word is grief or maybe the word is anger. I've been feeling a lot of anger being pregnant in a pandemic, not getting body work and not getting a baby shower and (laughs) pissed, you know, and like, I was tired of feeling like I couldn't feel that way. And so I've been, I've been making space to, to feel my anger, making space to feel, to cry and cry and cry and cry and moan and cry and moan and just give it, give it structure. So yeah, there's an element here. I think of like curation of now that I'm, that we're into this experience, this like heightened experience of what's always been right. Like loneliness and isolation. Like I'm really thinking about how I can get what I need, you know, and it's it's those two things. It's container for my loneliness and my grief and my anger. And then really investing in the connection that I need and work and works for me and feeds me. Absolutely. And those, those two things really tied up so beautifully because they feel like the antidote to the lo- the loneliness and the longing, like really actually being with ourselves, compassionately holding space for the grief and the anger and all the other emotions. And then when we're ready and we have the ability to really reach out for that quality connection that feeds us instead of just like, yeah, I'm totally scrolling too. So, <laughs> right. We're like, ouch, ouch, ouch. Maybe I'll feel something good here. Yeah. I hear you. Everyone else is baking perfect X, Y, and Z and like 
doing all the crafts, which I'm guilty too, because I'm doing crafts with my kid every day just because I need something to do. I need a creative outlet, but I'm so aware of like when I post it, I'm I'm like, oh God, I hope other parents are like, oh, there goes Dorote, like doing another perfect craft. I'm like, no, this is literally like keeping me sane right now. And like, we all have that thing. Some people it's like taking a walk. Some people it's cooking. Some people it's art or just contemplating, reading, watching a movie. I mean, it's like, gotta make space to to be compassionate with ourselves. I mean, humanity hasn't really gone through this before, so that we're all new. We're all new. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, thank you so much, Becca, for sharing your experience and the depth of your presence and your contemplation. I really feel like I've learned a lot in chatting with you and I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for being on the show. I'm thrilled to finally be on this awesome podcast and just so honored you asked me and yeah, I'm happy to be connected with you and all of your listeners. Thank you so much. Same. And for those who want to learn more about you. There are a lot of things that you offer in terms of courses and beautiful writings on Instagram and things like that. Where can people find you online? Well, I have a podcast as well called Belonging that um, and I invite you after you listen to Dorote that you come over and listen um, listen to Belonging if that is something you're into. And then Instagram, Becca Piastrelli. If you don't know how to spell that, usually the algorithms figure it out for you. So just look at Becca Piastrelli on Instagram and I'm Becca Piastrelli online. That's my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Becca. And uh, yeah, I hope we speak again. I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. You can hear other episodes on moontent.co or subscribe to the Moonwise podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. You can also leave a comment on the Moonwise Sisterhood group in Facebook. Our theme music is by Sophie Cooper from her album, Rewilding. You can find her online at voicealchemy.com, so go check out her work there. See you next time.